Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. LGBT Thriller You have now entered the House of Mystery With your hosts Eric Shapiro David North Martino John Copenhaver And Al Warren FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Al Warren, and uh, we've got the Karate Kid here. <laughs> hey, Al. Wow, you keep on putting those videos up. You see all, those, all that stick work. So you, your neighbors really must be scared of you now. Yeah, they think I'm a nut. Well, you, what, you, just, you just go out in the middle of the road and start doing that, or what? No, no, that's on my patio. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. it, <laughs> it kind of looked like you were out in the, <laughs> like in the middle of the road, the yeah. middle of the road, or out in the yard, and just kind of throwing all these sticks around. And yeah, it's like the, it's, it's like forced perspective or whatever. You it makes it look like you're out in the road the way the uh, the camera probably yeah captures it. Yeah, I was waiting for it. Makes it more exciting. Well, if the cops should show up, you know. Yeah, exactly. They start dragging you away. Like, like, who is this guy? Yeah. I mean, I'd call the cops right away. Yeah, so that, that's my colleague stick work. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 yeah like, I had a different name for it, but nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares what I say. Uh, anyway, so it's been a week. Um, and now, to finish off the week, we're going to be talking about... Uh, Science fiction, young adult. We're going to be talking writing, and not with you. <laughs> um, That's right. We have a, a special guest here now. Uh, hmm. His book, I believe it's his first book, and it's called Spark. And uh, the writer is our guest, Pat Daly. Thank you for being here, Pat. Oh, my pleasure to be here, Al. We'll see if you say that at the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be that feeling. Uh, no, I'm I'm innocent. Um, Wow. So I, I will say, um, it's certainly interesting. Um, you, you've got, um, I see it's called 
I believe, hard science fiction. And I always ask authors that do this type of work how they see hard science fiction. Like, what is that to you? Okay. Uh, to me, hard science fiction is speculation based on our current understanding of science, technology, and engineering. Uh, and I mean, I, I bow before Arthur C. Clarke, who said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Uh, so, so I'm willing to give people a pass when they make technological leaps. I mean, that's certainly been history forever that we've advanced in terms of technology and our understanding of the universe. What differentiates it from, I think, generic science fiction is that I rely a little more on the as-is state. And I'm projecting not too far into the future. In fact, it's, uh, I think, really the difference between what I'm writing now and reality is a matter of money. Oh, okay. So the, the money... Um in a capitalist world sort of would bring it to now. So it's, you're saying near future. Um, you also write young, you're calling it young adult. Um, how does that translate with something like hard science fiction? I think it maps over fairly well. Um, I think, uh, I think a lot of times authors underestimate the knowledge and intelligence of younger readers. And, and even though I say it's young adult, what I really mean is that it's family friendly. I don't have a lot of cussing in it. I don't have a lot of sex in it. Um, because I just want it to be, to appeal across a broad spectrum. And I wanted it, my wife's a school teacher. I wanted it to be a book that she could have in the classroom. And it would survive at least the first couple of rounds of uh, PTA scrutiny, and it wouldn't be banned or burned, at least not immediately. <laughs> wow. You never let your wife check things. Come on. That's, <laughs> and she's a teacher. Holy cow. You're asking for trouble there. Um, yeah. You know, um, she, when I first started talking about this, uh, this idea I had for the book, we're out to dinner and it's still just a germ of an idea in my head. And I start throwing out ideas and I'm going to have this and this. And she immediately goes into teacher mode. Okay. Well, have you thought about this? What about this? What about this? And I have to say, I probably did not react well <laughs> to that <laughs> constructive feedback. <laughs> and uh, she told me after that evening, she said, I will not read this book until it's published. <laughs> so right away, I lost my, my primary, uh, beta reader. So, uh, I've, I've learned to keep a little bit more control over my, uh, my tongue and my sensitivity about my writing. Yeah. You have to be careful. That's dangerous mm. prospect there. Well, so let's, let's, let's get into the book a little bit. Um, this, this book's called Spark. Did you have a, a vision of what you wanted? Um, to come out in the book? Like, did you sort of, did you have that ahead of time and you kind of knew what you you wanted it to be 
And uh, if so, did did you get that outcome? Did it work for you? I had kind of broad strokes of what I wanted. I had a few particular things that I knew I needed to include just for my own personal satisfaction, like the the blackgrass technology, which is a, a passive uh, solar power technology. I wanted to include that. Um, I knew I had to have some some conflict, and I w- wanted also to address at least peripherally uh, kids in the in the foster care system uh, because I think. I think there's a lot of improvement that could happen in that uh, in that world. So it, when you do something like that, um, and that's it's it, it's almost like you're saying it's almost a subtext. It's almost kind of a something you want people to get out of the book besides the story. There's sort of an underlying thing there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a, a predominant theme. But it is a subtext. It it runs through some of the characters' decisions, and it certainly, at least early in the story, um, motivates their their actions. Do you, do you do? Uh, it, does it take a, quite a bit of research? I guess is what I, I'm thinking at now. I'm aiming at um, to make sure that you get all your facts right when it comes to that. It it does. I and I had some stuff woefully wrong, <laughs> uh, embarrassingly wrong. Uh, so I did I did a fair amount of research. I talked to people in the uh, in the system, uh, on the on the government side, and to some families that had done uh, fostering as well. And uh, you know, it's so it's it's got great motivation behind it. But as is often the case, our, our hopes and our dreams, our aspirations for a project or a system of dealing with, uh, with kids that are, you know, no, either no longer safe in their own homes or they no longer have homes, uh, because in the, in the case of, uh, of the book, yeah, there's, uh, some orphans and without uh, immediate family in one case or any family to uh, to take them in and so they end up in the in the foster care system and um i had people designed as villains within that system and i think that's that's not really the case i don't think anybody goes into it either as uh you know on the child protective services side or the uh foster parent side with ill intent. I think everybody is well motivated and of good heart, but then reality intrudes and things often just don't work out uh, the way we hope they would. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough. Uh, you know, thinking about the technology that you're writing, um, did, you, did you find it difficult to project tech? into the future with uh, the speed of uh, technological innovations today? Yes. I was, I was actually terrified that before the book got published, that reality would surpass it. And so I, I felt this burning under my, under my seat to get me motivated to get the book in the hands of a publisher and, uh, get it out there into the world because I didn't want, you know, 
some science fiction ages really well. Yeah. Uh, Alfred Bester's um, The Star's My Destination absolutely has aged well. It's almost 70 years old and uh, still well worth reading. Uh, but others, when you have topical issues in there, uh, may not age as well. And I was a little afraid that that it wouldn't age as well, but I I overworried about the advance of uh, both the, the technology in VR and AR uh, and the financial appetite to make some of these things a reality, at least in the near term. Now, now in the book, you've got um, characters that are young because it's young adult mm-hmm. frame. So like, you know, Will and some of those. How do you get in the minds of a 16-year-old kid now even though I know it's kind of near future, so you, you you've got to get into a uh, a young teenager's mind today, kind of even a little bit futuristic too. So how mm-hmm. how do you kind of do that? Well, I'm a guy. Yeah, I've never grown up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I um, one of the things. Uh, that was recommended me to do was to read current uh, science fiction. You know, what, what were the top five bestsellers the year I was trying to get this published? And I, and so I read those um, and, and thought, well, Hmm, you know, I've, I have kids and my kids have friends and I understand at least how they react to some things. I certainly don't understand how, why or how they react the way they do to other things. Um, but I tried to spend a lot of time talking with people in the, uh, in the target age group, which really is, you know, 12 to, to 16. And I've got, uh, I've got one young friend, uh, in India who was 14, 13, 14 when I started, um, talking about writing with him over the net. And uh, getting his input was very, very helpful. So, you know, it it turns out that it's not a good idea to hang around playgrounds and just tell people that you're there to do research. I was going to say, how how was that in the actual research? I mean, you know, um, boy, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, but you know, hey, I've got a wife who's a teacher, so it was a little easier to uh, to have access to uh, children in a safe, controlled environment. Yeah, um, and and so is this like? Um, did you, I guess how do you say this? Did you notice a, a big difference um, with the kids you're? getting you know dealing with and using as compared to when you were a kid i think the the biggest difference is the uh the way in which they consume content for me it was you know i'd listen to the radio or cds in my car i'd watch tv go to the movies and and now well especially during the uh, the ongoing covid issues uh, movie theaters are falling by the wayside and, and kids are far more likely to watch something on their phone than they are even to watch it on, on a big screen TV. So, uh, that was the biggest difference. And I had to make sure that, 
I projected that phone reliance or screen reliance uh, onto the, the characters in the book as well. Yeah, and they're just that way now until their eyes go. Wait till they get a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they're going to be using reading glasses at 22. Well, yeah. I, well, <laughs> I think that um, I think one of the hard things to look at when you're doing science fiction too is like everything we're doing now, for instance, in 20 years will be kind of past tense. They'll mm-hmm. be doing it all differently. Just like if you look 20 years ago, if you look at the 90s, the way we lived and, and everything is so much different than it is now with all these little things. Um, so I, I would say that's probably a really hard thing to do, even though you're kind of doing near future. Isn't there kind of a, a chance you'll get things wrong? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I look at some some stuff that, uh, you know, even even guys like Larry Niven, big names in science fiction, yeah. the way they projected the future, some of it came to pass, and some of it has not, uh, or has been completely different. I the other uh, the other day, uh, I was driving with a, a guy from work, and we're we're driving down the road and I needed to talk to a colleague in the Marshall Islands. And, and so I just pull up my phone and you know, I check the time because I don't want to wake him up in the middle of the night. And I have a teams meeting with him with video, no real discernible lag. And he's quite literally on the other side of the planet and I'm in a moving vehicle. Nobody projected that kind of advance in that kind of technology maybe dick tracy era we had the two-way wrist tvs but um but none of the big writers foresaw that yeah i think that's kind of a it's it's a really good point because um that can change your story completely um if you base it on something like that some sort of technology that doesn't exist or never really took off Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of a, a key thing. Um, so another thing I also curious about is when you're dealing with the young people too, and the situations that they encounter with each other, um, how they react to certain things. Um, because like someone like us, like when you when you say someone. Uh, about how we communicate on their cell phones and how we do all these things. It's new and it's kind of weird to us because we lived a life there where we had a, a dial-up box out of our house. You know, like, so it's, it's a change. But for someone young, it's just how they always have known it. Um, so I guess you've got to be really careful on how they act or react to things going on. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and I'm with you on there. I'm a uh, I'm a digital immigrant, and my my kids are digital natives, uh, so they they get it so much more fluidly than I do. Uh, often I have to really struggle. Like I've been building a website, and uh, my daughter's been helping me, and and I'm so happy that she's been able to help me because it's like, oh, okay, well you got to click here and do this, and it's um, you know, she's got the mouse flying over the screen, and I'm, and I'm four or five screens behind. 
trying to process everything that has happened. So, so yeah, you gotta, you gotta be really careful, I think, as you write things that are going to project into the, into the future. Um, yeah, Alfred Bester, he, his, the stars, my destination, I think that was set in 2350 or 2550, something like that. So that's, that's 500 years from now. And still, uh, his fiction still stands up. There's a couple little little oddities that you look at and you go, oh, that was kind of quaint. Uh, but for the most part, the things he projected are largely possible uh, and and foreseeable. Well, what about pop culture references? Uh, did you have to look at that? Did you kind of you know worry that uh, you you might uh, make some references uh, that uh, young people just wouldn't know today? Like from our yes. youth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, I had one, one reference to uh, one of the characters moving like the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz before Dorothy found the oil can. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I got just eviscerated uh, by my, uh, my critique group over that thing. They're not going to know, dude. Just, <laughs> yeah. we get it because when I was a kid, we watched Wizard Vaz, but nobody's watching it now. It was every year. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a yearly tradition. And it was the first, the first thing I really remember seeing in color. And I'm sure there were other things that came out in color, but I, I loved the storytelling aspect of the transition from a tale that begins in black and white mm-hmm. and transitions to color and then ends in black and white. Uh, I thought, oh, that was, that was pretty genius for the filmmaker to do that. Yeah, it always reminded me of uh, going back and forth from Canada to the U.S. because I uh, lived in both. And um, uh, going to Canada was like being in color and going to the U.S. was coming back. <laughs> To black hey. and white. And I don't mean that in a slam. It just sort of, that's how, as a kid, that's how it related to me. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. all. I, I'm just like, uh, hate mail goes to Dave, remember? Yes. <laughs> doesn't doesn't come to my, remember, it goes into him. And if it's serious enough, you'll pass it on. Okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so what, what did you plan um, on writing this book? So, and I'm one of you, but I mean, what was your thought in writing this book? Like, what did you hope to gain? Like, what, I guess I'm not really saying this right, but um, what were you hoping to achieve with this book? Uh, some of it was, um, was for my own personal edification to prove that I could do it, that I could write well enough that somebody would say, huh, you know what? We'll take a risk on this. We'll publish this book. And uh, and thank you so much to Fern Brady and Inkley's Publishing for uh, taking the risk on me. But the other was that I think I've had a few stories rattling around in my head that I just needed to get out. You know, I'm, I'm cramped for space up there anyway. I just needed to get some of these stories out on on a page so I could move on and start thinking about something else. 
Yeah, and you start running out of memory at this age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you, you got to put it on some sort of media so that, you know, later they're telling you, no, you wrote that while they're wiping your chin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote this book? Um, so it, now, are, are you, is this planning to be part of a series? Like, um, do you... Do you kind of plan on going further into the characters you used in this book? It wasn't until I wrote the last page of the book that I knew there was going to be a sequel. And as soon as I wrote that last sentence, I realized, oh, there is way more of this story to tell. And so so I started kind of doing an outline of what I thought book two would look like and so when I was going through the, the revision cycles and, and I don't know what, what your publishing experience has been, uh, in terms of, uh, getting feedback from your editors and having to, having to change things. I mean, <laughs> you've done this far more than me. Al. Mm. And, it's up and down like uh, a toilet seat. <laughs> I, I'm serious because yeah. some publishers and, and even the same publisher, you have different editors at time and some, some are uh, rather aggressive. Some have different outlooks on what they expect in a book. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really tough. It's, it's different from person to person. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one to read. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's good to know. Because um, as I as I went through the revision cycles, some of the some of the suggestions were, I, I just don't want to do that. I don't think that would be consistent with the characters. And others were, my God, how could I have been so blind that I missed either that opportunity or I missed a, you know, I, I had a big gaping plot hole that that I hadn't tied up, and uh, and so I I, I found uh, at least with. Uh, the, the first book that the revision cycle was very helpful for me. Yeah. I think the end of the, at the end of the day, it turns out good. Usually um, it can mm -hmm. be rather um, hard. I remember the first book and going through um, a lot of emotion or upset with this because of the different, because uh, you feel like you're being attacked a little bit. And, okay. and the truth is with the editor, they're usually trying to make, the book better if they're a good editor but you know the one that um picks out something and makes you realize something that you've missed or the ones you hold on to because i've done that i ran across an editor from years ago and i use her now for everything even if i'm sending it to a different publisher i run it through mm -hmm. her first come back with it and then send it to a publisher so it's something you you grab a hold of a good editor if you find one good to know yeah. Definitely. Otherwise, you know, um, that's what you knew. You just mentioned you wrote, you read one of my books. That was the very first book. Actually, the second book I wrote, the first book published. And that was a big hit. Uh, but I absolutely hate that book. <laughs> really? I absolutely hate that book because that was one of those. It was the first time I dealt with the publisher and editors and the whole thing. And I had a really rough go of it. And it got changed a lot. And then, of course, you know, go through all that stuff, and I felt very, um, I mean, most of it is my issue. Don't get me wrong. It was my experience and how I saw it um, at the time. And so I look back at it as kind of a, 
good. It's, I'm glad I went through it, but it was a hard experience. It was really hard on me. And um, whenever someone says, oh, I read that book, I always cringe. <laughs> go, no, that's my worst book. But it's actually probably my biggest selling book ever. Sorry, Al. I love the book. Oh, good. I, uh... I'll take it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's one of these things that we look back at as a writer. I think when you, same as this book now, Spark, you've written, so you've got it out. But, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 10 years down the road and you've got more books out and you're more familiar and comfortable and you get better each pro time you go through this process, too. Mm -hmm. You get better at uh, writing because when you learn to edit more yourself and what you should look for, you you just get better. So in 10 years from now, when you look back at Spark, you'll probably feel the same way. Maybe not as bad as I do, but you probably will go, oh, geez, and you reread it 10 years, you might go, well, I would write this different. I would change that. I would do this. Because we just we just become better at what we do. That, that brings me to this, when you say that you didn't know until the last part that it was going to become more of a series, more there was going, it was going to go further. So, when you sit down to write a book, are you the person that that actually outlines all this? Did you have Spark kind of all outlined how it was? Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
going to begin, kind of the ending and some of the main plot twists, and you just kind of fill it in as you go? Or is this totally, you get up and write, and where it goes, it goes? Uh, I'm, I'm a little more where it goes, it goes. For, for both Spark and the second book, uh, Fire, uh, I wrote an outline that was three pages long, and then I left that as the end pages of the document. So as I started writing, it just kept moving down in the document, made it easy for me to find it again. And I would find that, that sometimes I had really strayed away from, from the outline. And, you know, that's okay as long as the, the story is still good. Um, and then other, other times when I'd go back to it after writing six, eight chapters, I'd go, Oh, you know, I forgot I was going to put this in there and then go back and either try to weave it in or decide, eh, you know, maybe the next book. That uh, that makes it. Hmm. So when you do that, um, you see, this is strange because I don't see you as this type of guy. But um, if you're kind of going by the seat of your pants, as they say, um, d- d- then mood would mood affect the way you write. So, you know, um, you're fighting with your wife and, you know, <laughs> over dinner and stuff. And so can you just go mm-hmm. home and write? Um, or does that affect everything? Oh, the mood does, does affect the writing. Uh, and, and sometimes I use that to my advantage, uh, because for me, music is a big trigger of mood. And so, uh, I have a playlist that I listen to while I'm writing. And if I'm writing, uh, you know, a fight scene or a high tension scene or something where I want the pace to be fast, then I'll tend to uh, go to some, you know, some rock anthems and something with a, a strong, fast uh, beat to it. And then if if I want something to be a little more poignant or introspective, uh, I will go to something like you know, Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence um, to help engender the mood that I want to infuse into the into the writing. I was going to say, you said you like to use it for your advantage, so you get in a fight with your wife on purpose. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of mood, hey, so you go. Yeah, can we edit that out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cut that part out. No, I'm going to amplify it, turn it up loud. <laughs> I could see that. So you got some Metallica on your, your playlist? Yeah. No. <laughs> I do. Oh, okay. So you see, you're a surprising guy. Um, you're probably very, uh, uh, very emotional and in touch with your feelings, guy. Though you seem very um, alpha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I'd throw that. I'm in. Sure, I'm not sure what that means. Well, it, it, uh, uh, well, you just seem very. You know, you, you kind of um, like if you if you were sitting there and you said you were a policeman, I would believe it. Ah. You know, ah, like an enforcement man, okay. or you'd be a, you know. Um, military you know i'm a colonel Mm -hmm. you know or something i that would not surprise me i think your personality fits that so you're not really a touchy-feely kind of guy in the sense of you know um you know what i'm saying like not yeah yeah and you're you're absolutely right there um see that's why that's that's why it surprised me and i'm just saying that because you have that appearance Mm -hmm. um certain things 
kind of set, oh, okay, so your mood does matter. And so it does matter if you're kind of in a, because that's part of the emotional straight, but at the same time, you're, you're that up front kind of alpha guy. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and actually, um, one of the things that I heard from my early readers before the book even made it to the publisher was, this is really kind of a flat affect book. And, um, you know, does, does your protagonist, your two, your main male and female characters, you know, does, does he think she's pretty? Cause you don't even talk about that, you know, and, uh, so part of that is intentional, intentionally trying to infuse more of uh, the inherent emotions into the uh, characters on the page. I'm wondering, did, did you pull in anything from uh, your work, hobbies, or activities, or anything like that to inform this book? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I'm a gamer. I love playing uh, role-playing games. Um, you know, even back in the day, I played some tabletop mm. uh, Dungeons & Dragons kind of stuff. Uh, and now it's, you know, it's by and large... Uh, migrated to console or PC gaming. Um, but I still, I still love those. And some of, uh, there, there are a couple of, uh, nods or shout outs to, to some of my favorite games and some of my favorite, uh, shows and movies and books, uh, in Spark. Uh, I didn't want to make it a big overt, you know, hey, this is all about 80s trivia. Um, <laughs> But I wanted it to be, you know, if I make a Star Trek reference, I want it to be appreciated by people that watched or understand Star Trek without it taking away from the book if they didn't get it. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't want to make it mandatory that you know all about, you know, Spock and his relationship with McCoy. Uh, but I wanted it to be appreciated by those who, who had that same background. Well, you, did you mention Atari? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are dating ourselves, aren't we? Well, yeah. I do that Commodore every 64. day. Commodore 64. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. tell you. Commodore 64. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I'll be 64 soon. <laughs> huh? oh, yeah. Unplug. So who are your influences? This is kind of a cliche question, but do you, and I don't just mean writing, like do you um, ever find yourself going to other media, like maybe you watch certain movies or shows or certain things that are um, kind of give you kind of a drive to write? Yeah, I, uh, I love a good murder mystery and I love the, the, delicate way that a, a murder mystery author can tease you with clues and subtly lead you in the direction or intentional misdirection uh, to figuring out who done it. Uh, so, so I, I like those as well. I'm a big John Sanford fan. And then um, I do a fair amount of nonfiction reading as well. And uh enjoy uh, there's a guy uh, i stumbled onto his podcast actually was referred to it by a, a friend of mine a guy named tim ferris and he he works 
almost exclusively with nonfiction and self-improvement kind of stuff. And he turns out to be a pretty good writer. I've got a couple of his books on my shelf and he's, he's done a good job of showing nice, tight writing in his, uh, in his prose. So, you know, I can rely and you know, lean back on that a little bit, look at that stuff. Uh, so yeah, I, I try to do a lot of reading and research outside the genre as well as uh, within the genre. And of course, my books. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, the book well, he read, which will not be named. <laughs> the book yeah. will not be named. Yeah, terrible, terrible book. Yeah, I actually found it more fascinating because in my uh, in my day job, uh, during that same era. I was doing some consulting with the uh, Canadian Air Force, and I had friends, uh, one of whom went on to become the uh, wing commander of uh, Eight Wing at uh, Trenton. And and it was just phenomenal to me that all this took place. I never remembered seeing anything about it in the paper, and nobody ever uh, started off a meeting by saying, yeah, so, you know, we got a... Uh, a serial killer in the uh, Canadian Air Force, eh? <laughs> hey, yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's not something that uh, is really popular in Canadian or British culture, right? It's not a whole lot of stuff goes on in the media about stuff like that. So it's it's much quieter, you know. Um, but it's going to change. It's going to change. I was just on CNN for that book. So... We'll see. Really, for that? Book? Yeah, yeah. The that lies, crimes, and videos in the next season that's coming out here very soon. It's spring, so I don't know exactly the date, but uh, yeah, they came and filmed me for a while, and we talked about Colonel Russell Williams. Oh, very cool! Well, out of your head. And yeah, and they had no. They didn't powder my head on that oh, one. No, not that. That's, one. Okay. that's a different one. That's that's the Killing Game one. They just powdered my head. You know, I guess I'm getting too shiny and bald. <laughs> How insulting! <laughs> well, so um, now, now this is going to be kind of a, a probably a weird question for you. Not like any of the other ones aren't, but the um, your characters. Um, h- how do you experience them? Um, and and I ask that because there's been so many fiction writers that we have that talk about their characters like they're their kids or they're like really best friends or family and stuff. And some experience their voices and the, you know, and some experience them, their vision and stuff like that. Like Dave hears voices all the time and all the time. And, and it's kind of a little bit scary, but I'm hearing them right now. <laughs> see. <laughs> and, um, but do you have that same experience with yourself? I, I do. Um, and and a little of the the main character was patterned off a young man that I uh, that I knew, um, and I tried to think about how he would react uh, in certain situations. And and I mean the character evolved way beyond my limited understanding of the uh, the young man that I kind of used as a model. And then the uh, the female lead, um, we were. We were on a family trip. I have two daughters and both girls. Uh, everybody had gone into a market and 
when they came out, my youngest daughter said something that I heard as feral daughter. And I thought, oh, God, what a great name for a boutique or a line of counterculture clothing or something like that. And I said, what were you talking about when you said feral daughter? And she said, what do you what do you mean? I didn't say that. It was, it was something completely different. But I, I decided at that point that needed to be the uh, the avatar name of a character in the book, and I let um, I let that character at least start as kind of an amalgam of uh, my two daughters, and then, yeah, honestly, I I spend a lot of time with my characters now, falling asleep with them, walking the dogs. Uh, in the morning, I'm hearing dialogue and where they might go and what's happening next. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Do they take over I, your I, driving? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just checking to see how safe society yeah. is here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to basically ask something very similar. Is is that when you're writing these, are, are your characters, do you, do you feel like you're in control of these characters? Or do you feel like they have a mind of their own and they decide to rebel against the plot or, or what have you? <laughs> yeah, they they actually do develop a, a mind of their own and sometimes um, sometimes rebel. And then if they get too rebellious, I have to kill them. <laughs> uh... That's the way to do it. Wow. So um, be on the lookout. Down. <laughs> if you see if you see Pat Bailey walking his dog in the park, go the other way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, just just stay away from that man. I'll tell you. Now, so do you have your website up? Do you have a, it all finished and people can come find you on that or no? Uh, no, the the website just got populated with the uh, the basic theme that I bought uh, this morning, and uh, so the best way to get touch with me or to uh, see what I'm do- up to it would probably be my blog. Okay. And what's the blog address then? So we can put it up. The, yeah. The blog address is feraldaughters.wordpress.com. Okay. Of course, now we're going to have that up. Do you like to do social media too? Are you hanging out there and, and talking with people or do you avoid that? I've, I've, I used to avoid it like the plague. Um, <laughs> No pun because intended. I just yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I um I thought how how much can I contribute to the world in 144 characters uh, or do I really want to share pictures with people and so much of what's on social media is is just garbage. Uh, and I thought, nah, that's, that's not for me. And then, then I realized, um, you know, I'm mercenary enough to realize that it's a good marketing tool. And so I've been become more and more active and the whole blog thing has been a huge surprise to me that it helps me get some of these ideas out of my head onto the, uh, onto the screen and words and thoughts, uh, even, even, characters that may not have had much of a backstory. I'll blog about them, tell how they, they got to be where they were. And I was even considering serializing uh, the the second book, but my publisher uh, shot that down in a hurry. Yeah, the try TikTok. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, get on the TikTok. You're ready for it. You're ready. Get on there and start dancing with your book and bring your dog on. Talk to yourself a little bit. Yeah. Maybe, it, you know, we, uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, get on there and I, rip I just your don't shirt know about off. getting just Rip your shirt yeah. off. Yeah. Buy this book now. I'm coming for you. That'd be one way to get the book banned. Yeah, well, you know, at least they'll yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> There's yeah. no bad publicity. Yeah, all publicity good. is good. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I've had a few. <laughs> yeah, maybe not today. There. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's it's really interesting. So now, um, so people can find you. You're hanging out on Twitter and Facebook. Then is that it? Or I uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Insta. On uh, on Facebook, I'm uh, Pat Daily Author. On Twitter, I'm the same. And on Instagram, I'm Pat Daily Picks. P I C S. Oh, wow. Uh, that must be a little bit more fun, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll have to check into that one. We'll have that one uh, highlighted. Um, wow, that's interesting. So it, it, how did the COVID work for you? Because this book is just fresh out. Um, you must have been writing it over the plague uh, over the last couple of years. <laughs> and being that you sort of get affected by things, does all that, tension in the air the last couple of years kind of seep in or did it affect your writing uh it affected my writing in that it gave me a lot more time to write um at the at the time during the the whole um lockdown phase we were living in a small town in washington state small town of moses lake washington that's got a population of about twenty thousand ish and so you know, pretty separated from the super spreader events and everything. It wasn't in, in Moses Lake, Washington, it was irritating because people bought up all the toilet paper. Other than that, it was like, <laughs> eh, not, not such a big deal. Um, and then just last year we moved back to Houston and just the move was a significant change. Um, people, far more polarized about it in Houston than we ever saw in uh, Moses Lake. Uh, so that was, that was interesting. Uh, but, but by and large, it gave me more time to write and I was happy with that. Yeah. Well, you know, the Houston's a little bit more polarized in everything. So, I yeah. mean, and then the bigger cities, you have a lot more people, so you're going to have to deal with a lot more of the, you know, it's more of a noise, you know, mm -hmm. so Moses Lake. Wow. It's, it's not too far away from. Uh, you know, I've been in Spokane quite a bit before. So, oh yeah, we had to fly in and out of Spokane for Moses Lake. Yeah, only city going. Yeah, well, you have to be careful. Well, it's certainly been an interesting conversation. Where do you see stuff going now? What's what's going to happen with Pat Daly now that you're um, you're kind of like um, I don't know, like Madonna or something? Are you famous in the book and you're on interviews on NBC now and you got yeah and you got you know you're in the big city and you're you know geez I mean uh, I don't know it's, it's weird yeah I I I want to write more and more I want to spend more time uh, polishing that craft and um getting more of my bizarre schemes out into the world uh, through my books. Uh, and, and so I hope that is uh, 
in my future. And I'd, I'd love to also get a chance to experiment or see the work in other media, whether it's, you know, on a, on a movie or a, a TV show or, uh, even an, even an audio book. I would love to, uh, to get this pushed onto a, an audio format, uh, because I think, I think print reading is going down and audio reading is, uh, is going up because people still spend a ton of time, uh, driving to and from work and they might as well be listening to your show or my <laughs> oh, good book. Thing you uh, said that. Yes. I was, uh, yep. yeah, I was ready to jump on that. And he says, might as well be listening to my book on audio. No, forget yeah. about this yeah. show. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, no, you know what? The audiobook has got a, a, a big boom and all that because um, people our age and baby boomers and Generation Xers are getting old and it's tougher to read. Hmm. You know? And then the young ones just like audio. So, it's yeah, it's, it's a good medium to be on. It's a little bit pricey, but it's a good one to be on. Mm-hmm. So so you audioized Audibleized. I'm not sure what the yeah the yeah. Verb I've is got um, books. I probably have about 20 books on Audible, give or take. Okay, so as somebody that makes their living, at least partially, through your voice, did you read your own work? No, 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 no. Um, I'm uh, I'm not good at that. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a long haul for me to get to do voice radio and to do it and become successful at it. Um, I couldn't do a book um, at this stage in my life, perhaps in the future, but not right now. Um, no, I've got, uh, well, the publisher usually takes care of it. Um, but there is one guy I had do a separate book that I published myself, uh, Brian Rollins, who does a lot of audio books uh, professionally and does a really, really good job. I'm super happy with that. And uh, um, other than that, the publishers have always pretty much contracted it out. Yeah, because, you know, I, I I drive a lot uh, like anybody else. And so sometimes I, I listen to audio books. And it's interesting. I've listened to Neil Gaiman read his own work and been blown away by his uh, by his narrating abilities, uh, and then I've I've read other or listened to other books where it's uh, a full cast recording and also incredible. So yeah, yeah, the cast recording is really good. One of our co-hosts, John Copenhaver, has two books, and he um, has had cast recordings read the book like different voices and i think it's great i think it sounds great it's entertaining um i like listening to the old shows anyway um so mm-hmm. talk radio shows not like i mean more like um you know mystery and uh suspense and stuff like that not talk talk uh-huh. radio but um yeah. mystery shows and so i like it i like that it's good entertainment for for me uh, and and a lot of writers you know if you're an author a lot of authors can read their own book and it turns out really good because it's coming from them. They, they did it. It's their story. They know it. So I think it's a really good thing to do. If you feel comfortable doing it, uh, I would suggest doing it yourself because like this story spark, you know, it inside out, you wrote it, you know, the, the feeling behind it. You don't have to read it, get to know it and to know where to put inflections in your voice sort of, you know what I mean? You just know it. 
So, yeah, anytime an author can read it, go for it. Anyway, so I think, yeah, there you go. So that's fantastic. And your next book comes out when after this? You've got part two or book two coming out? Yeah, book two, tentatively uh, titled Fire, and it should be out. Uh, originally, we were shooting for December of uh, 2022 for publication to try to hit uh, you know, the Christmas buying spree. Um, but I'm thinking that may slide a little bit, so it may be a springtime, uh, late winter, early spring uh, release. Oh, well, you know, if we're still here, yeah, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could do a sub-series and call it, like, Match, Lighter. Oh, yeah. Fluid. <laughs> Fluid. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm here to help. I do nothing but help. Well, anyway, now the uh, book we've been talking about today is Spark, and that's it's out available today. Of course, you can go to the website. You'll find it. You can go to uh, Pat Daly's uh, links that we'll have up on as well. Find them. Hunt them down. Um, <laughs> give them a review. Say something nice. Or don't say it at all. That's what my mother used to say. So that's our true. guest is the author, Pat Daly. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Pat. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.